KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Dave Uram. We're two years removed from the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, John Altabelli, Carrie Altabelli, Alyssa Altabelli, Christina Mauser, Sarah Chester, Peyton Chester, and Ara Zabayan. They were killed in that helicopter crash in California on January 26, 2020. I'm really pleased to be joined by Inquirer Sports columnist Mike Sielski, who wrote a great book about Kobe. It's called The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. Mike's book is out now. It chronicles Kobe's upbringing from his childhood in Italy through his Lower Marion days before he became a star in the NBA. Mike, thanks for the time. Great book, great detail, great storytelling. What led you to write this book? Well, Dave, thank you for having me. In the aftermath of Kobe's death in January 2020, I ended up writing a number of columns about him for the Inquirer. And I had known for a while a couple of people who were really close to him, specifically Greg Downer, the Lower Marion Boys basketball coach, and Jeremy Treatman, who had been a confidant of Kobe's when Kobe was in high school and kind of the media liaison between Lower Marion and the, and the media, you know, who were covering Kobe at the time and all the hype that was around him. And I got to thinking that, The whole world knows Kobe's story from age 17 on because that's when he joined the Lakers and moved into superstardom as an NBA player. But anybody in the Philadelphia area knows that there was this kind of prequel to that. You know, the first 17 years of Kobe's life were full with a lot of interesting anecdotes and drama and a state championship run. And as you mentioned, the life, his life in Italy with his family and his family history. And I thought if I can tell that story, then I could write a book that kind of shows who Kobe became as a man and a figure just by focusing on the early parts of his life, kind of his origin story. When did you recognize that you could do a book? When did you realize you had enough material, enough research, enough sources to be able to go ahead with this story? Once I reached out to Jeremy and Greg and they agreed to cooperate, I knew that they could point me in the right directions uh, in terms of people who were around Lower Marion and the Bryants back in the early and mid 1990s. And to be honest, this sounds terrible, but because of the pandemic, I had more time and ability to reach out to people um, because nobody was going anywhere. And, and, you know, there were no sports going on. So I could, you know, go to the Lower Marion Historical Society. I could try to track down Kobe's eighth grade basketball coach who nobody had ever talked to before. I could find Kobe's guidance counselor and his favorite English teacher and all these people who had these incredible stories about him and who told them once or twice, but, you know, that aspect of Kobe's life wasn't as well known. And so, you know, as I went along and I, of course, had the fortunate opportunity to get my hands on these interview tapes that Kobe had done with Jeremy Treatment back in 1996 and 1997. And that was a huge coup in being able to write the book. Tell me about these interview tapes, because I'm fascinated by them. So they're with Jeremy Treatman. They're around the 96, 97 time frame, 17 to 18 years old. What exactly are on these tapes? So let me set the stage for what they are. So Jeremy and Kobe had tried to write a book together, kind of to do Kobe's memoir as he made the transition from Lower Marion High School to the NBA. The project never came off. Timing was bad. They couldn't get a publisher, things like that. And Jeremy throws these tapes into a box and kind of forgets about them. Fast forward 25 years, he has transcripts of some of them, but not all of them. So he gives me the transcripts. Three days before Christmas, 
December 22nd, 2020, he calls me up. He's cleaning out his garage because he's moving from Maniunk to Boca Raton, Florida. And he calls me and says, Mike, I found the tapes. So the next morning, I drive over to his townhouse. He hands me a giant Ziploc bag full of these microcassettes, about 20 of them in all. And what he's got is Kobe talking about his relationship with his parents, taking you step by step through the state championship run that Lower Marion goes on in 1996, what it was like to take Brandy to the senior prom, what he thought of Michael Jordan the first time he met him and describing that first meeting with Jordan, what he thought of Shaquille O'Neal, what he thought of his first coach with the Los Angeles Lakers, Del Harris. Spoiler alert, not much. Did not like Del Harris. So I had all this original audio of Kobe talking about these topics at the time that he was living them. And if Kobe were still alive and I had gone back and asked him questions about that time, even that wouldn't have been the resource that these tapes were because they were contemporaneous. They were him at that time in his life talking about what he was going through at the time. If you could guess, and and I understand if you don't know this, how many hours, how many minutes of audio do you think were on those tapes? And how many exact cassette tapes do you think that there were there? There were about 20 tapes in all with about, I'd say, five to six hours of Kobe talking and monologuing and answering questions on them. Did you find those tapes to be the most useful source compared to all the other uh, folks who knew him that you spoke with? I think so. Yeah. I mean, there was a fair amount of, I got a fair amount of help from a lot of different people. One of the assistant coaches at Lower Marion when Kobe was there, Mike Egan was close with Kobe. He had a box full of memorabilia and newspaper articles and coaching stuff that he just dropped on my lap one day and said, here, give it back to me when you're finished. The Lower Marion Historical Society was great because they had the back copies of Kobe's yearbooks and the student newspapers from back then. So I could pick up on details and flesh things out and verify details. And of course, you know, the interviews were essential, the interviews with people who knew him. I did more than a hundred of those, but the tapes really lent nuance and texture to the narrative. And they allowed me to get inside Kobe's head at that time without having to speculate. Here he is saying what he thought. Here he is celebrating the 4th of July near the art museum and getting approached by strangers because now he's famous. And what's his reaction to that? You know, all those kind of things that I never would have found out if I hadn't had him talking about them in real time. So through those tapes and the 100 or so interviews that you did and the different articles and whatnot that you found, what do you think a reader will learn about Kobe from this book that a reader may not have known before? Well, a couple of things. Uh, Number one, he played baseball as an eighth grader. You know, Kobe gets compared to Michael Jordan all the time. And here was another one, another point of comparison and similarity that nobody knew about. And what's interesting about that is it seems like a throwaway kind of fact, but I dug up his eighth grade yearbook. And in that yearbook, there's a photograph of the Ballakinwood Middle School baseball team. And every single kid in that photo, 18 to 20 of them, has on a baseball cap and is wearing a glove, except Kobe. He's wearing a sweater that looks like He should be a character on the Cosby show. And he just stands out for being the one kid who it doesn't look like baseball is his thing. As it turns out, it really wasn't. Kobe joined the Black Student Union Group at Lower Marion High School, the student voice. And I get into the book, his search for his identity. Who am I really? You know, his background was not the same of most of the Black kids who went to Lower Marion High School or most of the white kids. And he's got to kind of find his way. And then there's dozens of anecdotes that demonstrate just how committed 
to being a great basketball player and an all-time great basketball player, he was at an early age. I think it's kind of a case study in his approach to greatness and what he was willing to do and what he was willing to sacrifice to get to the level that he got to. What are some of your favorite stories from the research that you did in the writing that you did? There's a couple that really stand out. One in particular, Kobe had a friend when he was 14 or 15 years old, who was a couple of years older, who he met through his older sisters. And the two of them would drive around to playgrounds in and around the city and they'd play ball, but they play a particular brand of basketball. Kobe would work on his shots on three pointers, you know, footwork, all that stuff. And the friend had two jobs. He was to rebound all of Kobe's shots and pass the ball back to him. And he was to scream at Kobe. You're soft. You go to a white school. You're not tough enough to play in the public league. And Kobe asked him to do this and wanted him to do it so that he would kind of be emotionally girded for what he was already facing from his peers and his competitors, what he was going to face throughout his high school career and what he was going to face throughout his NBA career. He wanted to be ready for the trash talk and for the accusation that you're not really tough enough to be a great player because you grew up in the suburbs. Um, there, there's a situation, there's a story that his agent, his former agent, Arn Tellum, told me about Kobe heading into his first season in the NBA and Tellum asks him about John Stockton, the great guard from the Utah Jazz. And Kobe, you know, St- Tellum says, well, what do you think of Stockton? And Kobe says, oh, I played against guys like him in the Philadelphia Catholic League. Like, are you kidding? This is John Stockton. He's one of the greatest point guards of all time. And Kobe's reducing him to like, you know, the point guard from Monsignor Bonner High School in Delaware County or something. So it gives you these insights into how he thought about himself and how great he thought he was going to be. The Mamba mentality that we've all heard about and are so used to, where do you think that came from in Kobe's upbringing from a very, very young kid in the Philadelphia area, then Italy, then back in the Lower Marion area, Philadelphia area when he was in high school? Where did that come from? You're asking the nature versus nurture question, Dave. And I think it's 50-50. I think it's 50% nature and 50% nurture. The nature part comes from specifically his mother, Pam, who was the, the head of the household, very strong woman, raised devoutly Catholic. Kobe has said that in the past too, that he got his quote unquote mamba mentality, his way, his mental approach from his mom. His father, Joe, great basketball player in his own right, kind of gave him the the natural skills and the instruction and the experience and all those things. But the mentality really comes from his mom. And then, of course, he's born into this family and in this culture, both in Italy and in the Philadelphia area, where he's groomed to be a great player. Joe and Pam were very discipline-oriented with their children, all three of them, except when it came to Kobe and basketball. They were very indulgent. They allowed him to be who he was going to be to say what he was going to say, to act in the way he was going to act because they knew how great he was going to be and they knew how committed and driven he was. So it's a little bit of nature, a little bit of nurture, and then the environment and the family that he grows up in just accentuates all that and allows all those qualities to flourish. More of my chat with Inquirer sports columnist Mike Sielski, author of The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. Coming up, this is KYW News Radio In-Depth. Welcome back to KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Dave Uram, and we're chatting with Mike Sielski, a sports columnist from The Inquirer, whose new book, The Rise Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality, profiles the origin story of Kobe Bryant. Two part question How do you think the Philadelphia area, Delaware Valley, the really great 
basketball history that comes from this area, great local basketball. How do you think that shaped Kobe? And how important was Kobe Bryant to the Lower Marion School District township? So how did this area shape him, and how important was he to the area that, that he made a big basketball powerhouse? All right, first things first. I think the area shaped him a lot, and I think he knew that at an early stage. You see him going to play in the Sunny Hill League when he's very young and going to play on the playgrounds of the city and you know areas just outside the city because he knows intrinsically he can't just stick to the Lower Marion community and he can't just rely on the experiences he had in Italy to kind of forge him as a basketball player. He's got to put himself in situations where he's going against the best of the best. So he's playing pickup games in East Falls and in South Philly and North Philly. And as I said, playing in the Sunny Hill League, doing all those things uh, on the AAU circuit to make himself great. In terms of his impact on the Lower Marion community, he literally takes Lower Marion from just being another run-of-the-mill basketball program in suburban Philadelphia to a place that it's kind of been at ever since. The Aces win the district and state championships Kobe senior year. They are a traveling roadshow. The Sixers were so bad at the time that you can make an argument that Lower Marion boys basketball was the prime basketball show in the Philadelphia area in 1995 and 1996. And the program has stayed at that level ever since under Greg Downer. They've won a couple more state championships. They've been a top program ever since. And as Greg Downer says in the book, Kobe taught us how to win. And he remains and was at the time just an enormous point of pride. He was somebody who that entire community, whether you black, whether you were white, whether you cared about basketball, whether you didn't, could rally around. You know, the best high school basketball player in the country is in our community. He's playing at our local high school. And isn't this great? And a lot of people in the community still feel that way about him. What kind of national reaction have you gotten to your book? Uh, knock on wood, it's been universally positive, and I'm very grateful for that. You know, I've talked about it with Adrian Wojnarowski on ESPN, a couple of podcasts at Sports Illustrated, things like that. And I think that speaks to Kobe's reach as a figure in our culture and in our sports scene. You know, it, he just, especially in the latter years of his life before his death, he had taken on kind of this figure almost as like a mentor to basketball players and pro athletes. He had become a girl dad. He had branched out to you know, into filmmaking and storytelling. He had left the dark aspects of his life, particularly the sexual assault allegations in Aurora, Colorado in 2003 and four. He had left them kind of in the past. He had kind of traveled this redemptive narrative arc that we as a society like our athletes to travel. He had been down because of his own mistakes and bad decisions and had come back out of that again. And I think that was part of the reason why his death hit so many people so hard is that there was the presumption that it was more to come from him and people wanted to see what was ahead. I understand if this next question can't be answered because of the sensitive nature of it. Have you heard from Kobe's family? Have you gotten any feedback from Kobe's family on the book? I have not yet. It's funny that you would ask that because I got an email uh, last week that was unsigned from someone who said, hey, Mike, just wanted to congratulate you on the book. Pam and I are thrilled and wishing you all the best. And I assumed it was from Joe Bryant because his wife and Kobe's mother's name is Pam. As it turned out, it was not. It was from someone else whose wife is named Pam. And But I went through about an hour there thinking that I had heard from Joe and Pam Bryant. I had reached out to them before I began the project to let them know that I was going to do it. And if they wanted to speak to me, I would welcome that. 
I never heard from them directly. I heard from intermediaries who told me that they were they were aware that I was doing the book and you know they weren't going to stand in my way. And I actually they haven't spoken as far as I know to anyone publicly. So from a reported standpoint, I feel okay about that. If they had spoken to ESPN or Oprah or something like that, I'd be disappointed just from the standpoint of being able to write the book. But I totally respect the way they've handled their privacy since their son's death. And my last question for you, Mike, and I really appreciate the time. When someone reads the book that you wrote about Kobe Bryant and his rise through the Lower Marion community, his rise through childhood before he became a Lakers star, what are you hoping they get out of the book? My goal in in embarking on the project was to try to write the definitive biography of Kobe's early life. I want somebody to be able to pick this book up today, a year from now, five years from now, 25 years from now, and read it and be able to say, by reading this book, I understand who Kobe Bryant became as a man and as a cultural figure. Well, Mike Sielski, Inquirer columnist, it's a really great book, detailed, great storytelling. I'm in the middle of it right now, and I'm really enjoying it. The Rise, Kobe Bryant, and the Pursuit of Immortality. Mike, thanks for the time and continued success with the book. Dave, thank you so much. I enjoyed this very much. And once again, and we can't say this enough, two years after the tragic helicopter crash, we remember not just Kobe and Gianna Bryant, but the seven other people who died that day as well. John Altabelli, Carrie Altabelli, Alyssa Altabelli, Christina Mauser, Sarah Chester, Peyton Chester, and Ara Zobayan. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Dave Uram, and we'll have another episode out soon. 